Hang You're on. listening. Oh! <laughs> Sorry, I have a sparkling water here. I'm going to just open this now. <laughs> sparkling water. <laughs> Aren't you glad I didn't do that in the middle of Argula? <laughs> okay, now are we ready? Now we're ready. Okay. listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. And today is a story time with Sarah. Yay! <laughs> today we get to go back to Reformation times, which is kind of fun. And it's a woman in the Reformation. It is not Katie Luther. Surprise, surprise. Curveball. Uh, and you may have never heard of this person because I had never heard of this person until Rachel told me that I should do a story time episode about her. So <laughs> today we're going to learn about Argula von Grumbach. She was a Bavarian writer, noble woman, and outspoken supporter of Martin Luther's ideas. And I didn't know about her until I started researching this episode. There isn't a whole lot written about her, as I guess is pretty common with anyone, any woman in the Reformation other than Katie Luther. But she was a particularly interesting person uh, and paid a bit of a price for that, too, uh, later in her life. So Argola lived 1492, which is a date that all of us are probably familiar with, uh, until Why? about the fifth. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Have you gone to history class? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 1492. Song, I'll just point out. Amy Grant song. song. There was an Amy Grant song in the year of the I'm Galileo. Oh my goodness. What's happening? Oh, We're not even a minute into this episode, and I don't even know where it's going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 1492. I'm sorry. 1492. Okay. Until about the 1560s, depending on who you ask. I think I found three different death dates for her, so... I don't know who's right. I didn't bother digging too much further. Somebody out there might know if there's an official death date for her, but 1553 to 1568-ish. She was born Argula von Stauff in Beratshuisen near Regensburg, Bavaria. There's a lot of fun German words in this one. And her family had the <laughs> baronial seat in the Ehrenfels castle there. And this is a side note. If you have a chance to visit Regensburg in southeast Germany, uh, I did a little Google sleuthing because that's what I do when I dig into these articles and I can't help but click on all of the links in a Wikipedia article and follow rabbit trails. The medieval city center is now a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which sounds awesome. Uh, it's also on the Danube River, which is a beautiful place. Uh, it's the largest medieval town north of the Alps, and there's a ton of history including the Christianization of the Czechs in the 9th century and the stone bridge across the Danube that was built in the 12th century was used during the time of the Crusades. It sits at the confluence of three rivers, the Danube, the Nob, and the Rican rivers, which probably explains a lot because river cities are generally important in history. 
And it has some historical significance in the Lutheran Reformation, too. German history is also a rabbit hole I was going down, but I had to stop that one so I could finish researching Argolai. Yeah. Do you miss traveling in person just a little bit? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I so do. You had a nice little day trip to Regensburg. Awesome. I did. I looked at lots of pictures. It was great. <laughs> so if you could so, give us a visual, sorry, I, I'm sorry I'm detracting here too, like and you say that it's an important place for the Reformation. Like, how far are we talking about in terms of, like, Wittenberg um, or, like, basically all, like, where Martin Luther walked, where his footsteps were? How far so, is, is Riggenberg from that? I don't know exactly how far it is from Wittenberg. It's fairly close to Munich, though. Okay. I'm not great on German geography. And I'm not great on Lutheran geography. <laughs> it is it is uh, relatively close to Munich, okay. though. Awesome. So, so the von Staufs were bigwigs in Bavarian nobility, only accountable to the emperor. So they were pretty high up. They were deeply religious and political. So education and university attendance were very, very important to them. So Argola learned to read at a really young age, and her dad gave her a very expensive and beautiful Koberger Bible in German, which the Franciscan preachers did not approve of. Uh, Anton Koberger is the godfather of Albrecht Dürer, by the way. Koberger was a goldsmith turned printer and publisher. So you might be thinking, wait, I thought Luther produced the first German Bible, right? Or something along those lines? Koberger's Bible, which used Gunther Zehner's translation from the 1470s, was into High German, Luther's was into Low German or Vernacular German. So both of these are dialects of Standard German, but High German is Bavarian, Austrian, and Tyrolean. I'm probably Americanizing that pronunciation, which is Eastern and Southern. And Low German is Saxon and Pomeranian, which is Western and Northern. So today's German language, according to my research, and I could be wrong, so if there's German history people that know better than I do, please correct me. Today's German language is a descendant of High German, but Low German is still used in the North and most everyone can understand it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Also, language is fascinating, so just tell me more stories about that. So anyway, Argola studied that Bible very intently and she memorized a lot of it. Uh, when she was 16, she became a lady-in-waiting to Duchess Kunigunde, the daughter of Frederick III in Munich. The Duchess also felt strongly about religion and politics, so Argola's own study of those things became even more fervent. Now, the plague, which shows up in every story from these times, uh, was a constant worry in those days, and Argola's parents both died from the plague within five days of each other in 1509 when Argola was 17. So her uncle Hieronymus became her guardian, and his disgrace in a political scandal and execution in 1516 probably influenced her hatred of violence. So in 1516, at the age of 18, Argola married an imperial knight, Friedrich von Grumbach, who was a loyal Catholic. His family apparently wasn't quite as high up in the uh, uh, political rank as her own family, but that was that was okay. That's sort of the uh, inevitable she, thing that happens when your uncle gets involved in a political scandal. Your marriage choices go way down. Marry down. He got to also, marry down. Sorry. Also, can I just say, her teenage years must have. Re I mean, teenage years are tough anyway. But losing both of your parents to plague and then your 
uncle and guardian to did you say he was executed yeah okay executed so in 1516 teenagers out there you guys be thankful <laughs> that's a lot of bad stuff to happen to a teen yeah and her bad. her uh her tragedy in life doesn't really end there either, unfortunately. Uh. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> uh, so she married a staunch Catholic, which will have consequences later in her life. They had four children. Uh, only one outlived his parents. Uh, two of her sons died from consequences of fighting. Uh, one was a brawl. One was a feud. And her daughter died, I think, from illness. So only one of her children ends up outliving her. All of their children had Lutheran educations, though, and she was probably the one to arrange those educations as well as handle a lot of the finances and business of the family. She was a very confident and very smart woman. But none of this is the real reason why she was a notable woman of the Reformation. She stood up to the Roman Catholic Church in a way that was unprecedented for a woman. Argla read all of Luther's writings and translations and Melanchthon's writings on Luther's teachings and took them to heart. She was a strong believer in the Reformation and in Lutheran doctrine and because probably partially because she knew scripture so well. So reading uh, reading all of Luther's writings and having this this really large background in what the scriptures actually say uh, would have formed her into this person who, uh, comparing what Luther was teaching with what the Catholic Church was teaching, she would have been able to tell that there was some pretty significant discrepancies between what these two sides were teaching. So she started writing letters to Luther and other reformers in 1522. Her most notable letter was to the University of Ingolstadt in 1523. So, in Bavaria, Luther's writings were forbidden and promoting them was punishable by law. So, Arsatius Seehofer, a young teacher and former professor at the university in Ingolstadt, had really taken to Luther's writings and was spreading them in Ingolstadt. So, of course, he was arrested for heresy, aka Lutheran beliefs, and forced to recant. His case was well known in the region, but no one spoke up to defend him, even Martin Luther. Argola was furious about this. And she couldn't keep silent. So she wrote a letter to the faculty of the university in objection to Seehofer's arrest, as well as a letter of protest to William IV, Duke of Bavaria. She told the professors to follow scripture, not the Roman Catholic Church, and she cited over 80 scripture verses to back up her case. She speaks emphatically in, the, in this letter that Luther and Melanchthon teach the scriptures, and that if you throw out their teachings, you might as well throw out the New Testament. Wow. She offered to come for them. <laughs> yeah, tell them what you really think, Argola. <laughs> mm -hmm. She seemed to not mince her words when she wrote letters. That's mm. that's the, the feeling I'm getting. She was a straight shooter. Keeping it real. So she off offered to come before them and debate with them in German, which was unheard of, partially because she was a woman and also because uh, Latin was the language of scholarship. So women's opinions and scholarship, not really expected or valued at this time. She said that she spoke out, even though she was a woman, saying this letter was not a woman's ranting, but an argument from a member of God's church. And this is a quote in English translated from German. What I have written to you is no woman's chit chat, but the word of God, and I write as a member of the Christian church. Whoa. This letter oh. spread like wildfire. It was turned into a booklet, which was done first without her knowledge. 
and it created a huge buzz among the people, which obviously made theologians pretty angry. It had 14 editions with 30,000 copies circulated over two months, which was comparable only to Martin Luther's writing. So this was a big deal that something that a woman had written was being circulated this much among people. She became famous, but it was more important for her to follow her conscience and her baptism into Christ. Her stand against the patriarchal society she lived in was really courageous. None of the men that she wrote to in protest deemed her important enough to even write a reply. I'm what? speechless, like but them? you know, that's a, I guess that's what they would have wanted, huh? Oh, but <laughs> I mean, did they, did they take action? Nope. <laughs> so she basically got no, she got no response from the university. Wow. I wonder who converted it into a booklet. Sorry, right. I got to pause a moment. I am also curious. It was probably, what from what I was reading, it was probably that some people read it, thought it was cool, and they would print it, and then it started getting circulated so much that other people would print it. Because this was the age of the printing press being new, uh-huh. so you have all of these printers, and it was unregulated, too, so the government couldn't tell you what to do. No yet. copyright. Uh, right. Yep. So no permissions. Once- if someone got their hands on it. I mean, it was very much like the internet is today. Like, yes, technically, there is supposed to be some rule of law on the internet, but we all know that stuff gets grabbed and screenshotted and shared and with or without the person's knowledge or permission. And that's what the publishing industry was like in its first years. When Luther published stuff, he didn't so much sign a publishing contract. He tried to spread, he would just send a draft to a publisher. And he tried to spread the love about because as soon as one publisher published something, someone else would grab it and make a copy of it. And so they had a very limited sort of monopoly on the new material as it came out. So same thing with Argola. She probably didn't get any, no one asked her permission to publish this. They just thought, this is cool. People need to read this. I'm going to print it. And then someone else grabbed it, made a copy, printed it and distributed it in their local market. Um, so even if the university did not send a letter, they should, they didn't send a response back. Did they are, are they on the record, quote unquote, as like having any sort of response to it, or did they just like, oh, it's a letter from some no name. Let's throw it in the garbage. I mean, so the only reason we actually know about it is because her letter got grabbed up and circulated, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't have been preserved for us to even know about this incident. More than likely. Huh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Isn't that okay. cool? So yeah. anyway, <laughs> her Keep actions, Argola's actions and writings were not without consequence. Her husband, remember, he's a Catholic, lost his prestigious post at Dietfurt over the situation where he was in service to the Catholic Bavarian Dukes. Kind of a problem. They said he couldn't control his wife. Also a problem. <laughs> so they read it, but they threw it away. They didn't just straight throw it in the garbage. Like they. Oh, read people it. knew about it. Okay, that was part of the that was part of the issue <laughs> that everyone knew it was happening. So he was told at one point, and this is from Wikipedia. So I don't know where this. I didn't read the original source on this disclaimer. He was told at one point that he could disable her to prevent her from writing or even strangle her with no legal consequences. This is the level of respect people had for women who made waves back then. <laughs> Yikes. Wow. Because of this, him losing his his position, 
her family was in financial crisis without the backing of the Catholic Church. So she had to pawn jewelry and do all of this other stuff in order to just have money for the family. She was shunned by her relatives who told her she should stop meddling. Uh, Theologians were angry with her and wanted her punished. She was shamed in sermons and lectures calling her names that I won't put into this podcast. (laughs) Oh, She wrote letters and poems in response to these attacks, saying she didn't fear punishment or death. But that was about all she could do. That's Amid our the controversy. <laughs> that Confident woman. Right. Amid the controversy, there is a little bit of a flip side. She was held in high regard by certain Lutheran pastors, including one Balthazar Hubmeyer, who said that she knew more of the Bible than the Catholic cardinals. Wabam. Martin Luther himself knew of her letters and recognized her devotion to the pure Lutheran doctrine. She also wrote at one point that a hundred other women who were more well-read than she was would stand up and write in defense of scripture. Hmm. So Argola lived a quieter life after 1524, uh, which is a year after she wrote that letter. Uh, Not a lot of her letters were for public consumption after that point. Uh, We don't know a whole lot about the rest of her life. Uh, In 1530, she did meet with Luther in Coburg Fortress, and I would love to know what they talked about to be a fly on the wall in that meeting. Mm -hmm. Her husband, Friedrich, died in 1530, so he didn't live very long. Uh, She remarried in 1533 to Count Burian von Schlick, who was a supporter of the Reformation, but he also died two years later after being imprisoned by relatives over a family dispute. A lot of tragedy in her life. So it's a bit unclear when she died. Uh, A local chronicle said she died in 1554, but it could have been as late as 1563 or 1568, depending on the sources you look at. So you mentioned why we even know about this today. Her letters survived because authorities gathered them up as evidence for a legal challenge with her son, Gottfried, the one who survived. (laughs) So that's the only reason we even have these is because Uh. of a legal thing that happened with her son. So several of them are about money matters or correspondence with their children before their deaths. But a lot of them are correspondence with reformers like Martin Luther and Melanchthon or princes during the, the Diet of Augsburg, which would be really cool to read. Oh, yeah. Her legacy lives on because of these letters as a woman who is unafraid to face death in order to f- defend the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ, and as an inspiration to women during the Reformation until now. And that is Argola von Grumbach. Argola! Well done. Mm-hmm. So as I was thinking of, of her story and just reflecting on a little bit of the power of written words and of standing up for what you believe in, even at personal risk, And also women being awesome even back in the 1500s. (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that she was, even though only, I think you mentioned one of her letters was was published and really public because of that, that she kept writing and encouraging and challenging in private correspondence. When the publishing route was closed to her, it didn't matter. She was still going to keep on using her pen to encourage, to uplift, but also to challenge and criticize based on what she believed, based on scripture. And I think that that's really, really cool. But poor girl. Oh, my goodness. 
Yeah, she did not have an easy life. <laughs> no, she did not. So for all of the all of the women that we've highlighted in these in this series, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to recall all of the women we've spoken about thus far, is they all were given an opportunity, particularly through receiving an education and like capitalizing on that. And that just shows me how powerful that that knowledge can be when people are given the chance to study and learn not and not even like quote unquote simply academically but even immersing yourself in the word of god like it just is it, it speaks volumes to me as to how important it is to just learn and study mm-hmm. and use that opportunity. Yeah, I I agree. I think one of the things that stands out to this in this story is the fact that Argola was given an education, even though there wasn't necessarily a practical application for it. She wasn't going to be a theology professor at a university. She wasn't going to be a great leader of men. But she, it, 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 all the same, her father thought it was worthwhile for her to be thoroughly educated. And she put that gift to good use. And I think we see that in our church, that sometimes women feel like, oh, well, I love theology, but why would I study it? I mean, I don't really, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm probably not even going to be a deaconess. And yet, take those opportunities for education because there will be opportunities to use that knowledge and that understanding, even if it's only in private correspondence or relationships or whatever, but you can be an influence for the good in that way. And that's always obviously been the case. Yeah, (laughs) always. This makes me want to like go back to school and get a master's in theology just for kicks because do it. Why not? Awesome. We'd love to hear uh, stories of, of Lutheran women that you find inspirational, even if uh, even if it's just one little point in time. We'd love to hear who you think are influential women throughout history so that we can highlight them on these little story times. It's always fun to share all of these stories. You can share your comments in our Facebook group, The Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Or you can listen to all of our episodes on your favorite podcasting app or at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge.